So for a minute here, let's all chat together this reality. Liberal Roe versus Wade activists are trying to take their protests to the homes of Supreme Court Justices Kavanaugh and Roberts, both Catholics. They're reportedly planning to head to Justice Samuel Alito's home tomorrow and will hit Catholic churches this morning. A number of pro-abortion lunatics were disrupting masses. We're going to Catholic churches around the country. One group of these lunatics put on some Handmaid's Tale outfits and showed up in a, a Catholic mass at the cathedral in Los Angeles. Welcome back to Inside Four Walls. Now, in the last episode, we covered how the Satanic Church opened up essentially an online abortion clinic. Lol. And I mentioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg quite a bit and how I would be doing an, a video all about how both sides are entirely wrong about Bader Ginsburg. Now, I said she was kind of based and died pseudo-pro-choice and fervent in her hatred towards the ruling of Roe v. Wade. Now, if you're on the left, you're like, that's not true. She was a fighter for my vagina and my rights. If you're on the right, you're like, that's not true at all, dog. <laughs> she voted for the shit. She was, she was all about that. <laughs> you both are so incredibly wrong about this fucking aged harlot. And by the way, no, I don't fucking care that she did. I fucking celebrate it, and I'll get into that. Why? Be you know what? <clears throat> I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with this. You see all this here? All this merch. The legendary RBG. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Look at that. Fight for things you care about. All this great things. Oh, man. The feminists love her, right? Now, even funnier than all this. And now, I've seen this specific shirt in the wild. And you know why I like this shirt? This shirt directly spits on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I love that. I love that. I hate Ginsburg. I think she was one of the worst Supreme Courts justice we've ever had in fucking history. She wasn't even a justice, as far as I'm concerned. She was an activist. She weaponized the Supreme Court into an activist panel, or at least she fervently fucking attempted to. <clears throat> but James, she was super-duper into abortion or she was super duper into women's choice depending on which side you're screaming at me from no no she fucking wasn't now let's start here before we get into the article let's find out where ginsburg started she gets her start at a professional grievance institute called the aclu where she was a former director of it and that's where she spent the bulk of her time after college not in the courts not practicing law she studied law was an activist her whole time in college did not get particularly high grades then immediately went into running the most obnoxious activist slash grievance group on the fucking planet how ruth bader ginsburg got her start at the aclu Ugh. Before she became a Supreme Court justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's mother, or sorry, 
Ruth was a mother, a law professor, and the founder of the ACLU's Women's Rights Project. <clears throat> this article is by Aria Nier. Former Executive Director, ACLU, President Emeritus, Open Society Foundation. Published September 25th, 2022. Half a century ago, in October 1970, I became the Executive Director of the ACLU. I had wish... I had a wish list, and foremost on that list was to establish the Women's Rights Project. I have been involved in a few women's rights cases in my previous post as director of the New York Civil Liberties Union. My wife, who was a young corporate executive at the time, was not many uh, was not many women held a time when not many women held such positions encountered discrimination against women on a regular basis, most importantly, a feminist movement. Had been reborn in the late 1960s, and I wanted the ACLU to be part of it, to contribute the expertise in litigation. Though the era of Warren Court had just ended, and our prospects for extending constitutional rights to those previously denied such protections. Abortion was never a constitutional right. Cope and seethe, bitch. Such protections were drastically curtailed. I thought the reemergence of a feminist movement might be the chance we need to succeed in promoting women's rights. The ACLU broad readily, board readily endorsed the establishment of the Women's Rights Project, WAP or WARP, W-R-P. The next hurdle was raising the funds for it. The ACLU had only recently established a tax-deductible entity that could receive funds and grants, and it took me a while to get it funded. When I got the funds, we needed, I began, to search for a director. I heard the New Jersey ACLU had secured the volunteer assistance of a profession professor at Rutgers Law School, who had done excellent work. Her name was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I called her to arrange an interview. Ruth impressed me when I met her, but I want really, but what really captivated me was the quality of her written work. Her legal pleadings and briefs were powerful argue, were powerfully argued and beautifully written and the dominant and, and you need to you need to write and after you use commas it's redundant you're essentially saying and and the comma equals a fucking and see i just i'm dyslexic so sometimes i stutter over reading i know how to read I know how grammar works. I'm just dyslexic as fuck. <clears throat> Guess I'm sick in my throat. Women's Right Project, but ran to some hurdles. Uh, let's see. Oh, sorry. Ruth impressed me. I read that. Ba -ba -ba, written book. Her legal pleadings and briefs were powerfully argued and beautifully written. And, 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 and. The dominant theme that emerged from them was that women and men should not be limited by sexual stereotypes. Men could be nurturing parents and caregivers. Women could be breadwinners. And both were entitled to equal treatment. A.K.A. the initial start of the feminization of men and the masculinization of women. And cure the current day culture war. 
Thanks, cunts. I offered Ruth the post of director of the Women's Rights Project, but ran into some difficulty. Columbia Law School was intent on appointing a woman to be its first tenured female faculty member, and they had offered the post to Ruth she wanted to accept. Fortunately, I knew the dean of Columbia Law School because insider trading and inside baseball. Michael Sorvin, who subsequently became the president of the university, Mike, had been a youth, had been a youthist full professor, had been the youthist full professor, okay, in the university's history, and became dean about the same time I became the executive director of the ACLU, pardon me. <coughs> I was still at NYCLU. Mike served on its board. He had played a leading role in equal rights litigation involving race discrimination and shared my intent, interest, in seeing the courts deal with sex discrimination. We, ate, uh, we agreed to arrange allowing Ruth to take both roles as she wanted. So she was doing activism at her college, or she was a teacher, also where she went, and now she gets to do activists on a whole group, but at least now she's with an activist group, or a grievance group as I call it. Take on both roles as she wanted. Columbia Law School's first female tenured professor and the founding director of the ACLU's Women's Right Project. We shared her salary. With Dean Sorvin's support, Ruth was able to spend most of her time at the, at the ACLU while extending Columbia Law School's tradition of being foremost among the country's law schools of fostering equal rights, a.k.a. going woke and going broke at high speeds. I also wanted to hire another lawyer to help launch the project. Ruth was already active in promoting women's rights as a legal scholar, and... She was not an activist in the emergent feminist movement. I wanted someone who would make sure the WRP would be well-connected to the movement. Also, on at the outset, I was unsure how much time Ruth would have devoted to her duties, duties at Columbia. We ended up hiring Brenda Foray, a well-known activist as in the feminist movement, who became Ruth's co-founder of the WRP. As it turned out, I need not have worried about Ruth's lack of credentials in the feminist movement. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys throw your hat behind uncredible people all the time anyway. The activists soon discovered the groundbreaking impact of the litigation she led with the project. One of the places where I sought funding for WRP was the Ford Foundation. Catholic, right? Initially, this was a failure. The Ford Foundation rejected a number proposal I submitted when I went to see the founder's president, McGeorge Bundy. That's a weird name. It went very badly. He yelled at me during most of our meeting. Did he yell at you, or did he just speak in a you know a masculine voice, you know, as a CEO of a company to someone trying to grift at him to get more money? Did he just talk to you like, yeah, what do you want? And what are you selling? And you're like, oh, he's yelling at me, because <laughs> I know you fucking leftist SJW pussies take the smallest thing as a microaggression. Fat land whales. He yelled at me during my meeting. Bundy had been National Security Advisor under President John F. Kennedy and Lyndon B. Johnson. 
one of the best presidents and one of the shittiest presidents in equal measure, and was a principal architect of the Vietnam War, outright piece of shit, he was angry with me because I had been on television defending the rights of those protesting against the war. Now, I will say, protesting against the war was the right thing to do, and especially when you found out the Gulf of Tonkin was a complete farce. It turned out, however, that a couple of the Foundation's program officers at Ford, who were just starting to propose grants in women's rights, Field knew about Ruth's groundbreaking litigation in the field, and they wanted to get involved. They helped convince Ford to make a grant to WRP. I was eager to accept the grant, not only because of the support it would provide for the WRP, but because it could open the doors for Ford to support other projects. But Ford imposed a condition women's rights project could not support abortion rights. <laughs> Based caveat. Probably because he had the foresight to know what was going on. Then again, due his pro-Vietnam War. This posed a dilemma. The ACLU was already deeply involved in pursuing the right to an abortion. And we intend to continue. On the other hand, I was reluctant to give up our breakthrough at Fort. I decided to establish a separate reproductive <laughs> freedom project. The Freedom to Murder Babies. BLM, Baby Lives Matter. Pass it around. To operate alongside WRP, funded by John D. Rockefeller III instead. Ah, the evil Rockefeller's people. Rockefeller, fun fact, the OG John D. Rockefeller, he's the one who, uh, the first. He's the one who both Common Core and Hotel Left Behind were built upon because he had released a school system protocol, which was like this whole restructure of the education system, which sole purpose was to develop a a nation of workers, not thinkers, and instead it got kind of overhauled and turned into, you know, a nation of Democrat voters instead of thinkers. It's kind of what happened. Let's see. Johnny Rockwell III. I hired a young lawyer, Janet Benshoff, who recently passed, lol, as director, and she and Ruth became or, uh, yeah, she and Ruth became close as Ruth advised her on her litigation strategy, but did not directly take part in the abortion litigation. She's offering counsel. That counsel's taking part in the litigation, but okay, lol. <coughs> the Women's Right Project and Reproductive Freedom Project remain powerhouse that remain powerhouses that are still fighting for gender equality and reproductive rights today in later years. I I wonder whether this split had worked out serendipitously. If Ruth had been directly engaged in our abortion right litigation, it might have been held against her in later years when President Carter nominated her to the U.S. Supreme to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, or when President Clinton nominated her to the Supreme Court. Carter and Clinton, two pieces of shit that took over after. Eh. In addition, Ruth already. Had been had enough on her plate, challenging sex discrimination. A not so secret weapon of Ruth's was an unwavering support of her husband Martin Ginsburg, who was an outgoing who was outgoing while Ruth appeared shy and reserved. I later came to believe that her reputation for shyness was not wholly deserved. She spoke only after carefully thinking about what she would add to a conversation. Presumably, she took a nap in the meantime. Because, you know, anytime you saw her at a public event, she was sleeping or dead or dead. It looked the same at certain points. Just slumped over in her fucking chair, 
head leaning back, mouth fucking slacked open. You go back and you watch some of these clips of people sitting next to her. You can tell them looking at her like, is she dead? Is she dead? Like, they're just staring at her like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Full admission, I did jump down a little bit. Because we got to the part where she was the head director of this part of a fucking, of the ACLU, Women's Rights Division. Now let's scroll down here a little bit. His, uh, her husband shut down his law firm after she became Supreme Court, right? Or when she was nominated. <clears throat> Marty lobbied hard and successfully for Ruth's appointment to the Supreme Court. Ruth always was always intent on giving credit to those who came before her. The landmark case, Reed v. Reed, in which she pursued the Supreme Court's unanimous, uh, unanimously to apply the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection under the law. Fair. To discrimination on the basis of sex was an example, though they played no part in writing her belief. Huh. In writing her brief, sorry. Ruth identified two feminists on the ACLU board who co-counseled one was the elderly and famously feisty judge Dorothy Kenyon, who had been appointed by a judge who had appointed judge by New York City Mayor Fierro Lagardia long before women were even considered for such posts. Weird because she was considered for that post long. Cause if you're only comparing Ginsburg to this chick who was appointed to office way before Ginsburg was, doesn't that mean that this lady... It's a stupid way to word it, right? Because is it, if it actually happened, is it that unfathomable for it to happen? Hmm. Hmm. Doubt it. Big X to doubt. Long before women were even considered for such a post, a woman was considered for the post. Hmm. The other was Polly Murray. Uh-huh. A gay black feminist. So even back then, these woke clowns were infiltrating our systems. Who was a member of the clergy, of course, and a formidable legal scholar. Polly has long argued that the 14th Amendment should be invoked to challenge sex discrimination. Depends on what you classify as sex discrimination. Now, we're just going to go through these last three little paragraphs and we're done with this article. Thank God. As has often been noted, a number of plaintiffs in Ruth's litigation were men. Among them was the husband of a woman in the Air Force who was denied housing benefits equal to those provided to the wives of men in the Air Force. Um, okay, well, if you're in the Air Force and you're married to somebody who's in the Air Force, duh, you'd be offered different living quarters. No shit, Sherlock. You had the Supreme Court weighing on that one? Unfortunate. Another was the widow denied Social Security benefits. Oh, so she was denied stolen money from the taxpayer? Damn. I guess she should, I guess she should take saving for her future into her own hands. And by the way, that's something about these fucking boomers I'm going to laugh at. And they're happening right now. All these boomers are really reti- starting to retire. They're starting to realize, oh, there's no money left in Social Security. Yeah, fuck you. That's what you get. You s- let the government pass legislation that put them in charge of saving for your fucking retirement. You trusted the government with your retirement account, and there's no money left for you. Jeez, jackass, I wonder what happened. It's almost like you should have taken your retirement into your own fucking hands. But no, you pelled it off to the government because it was more convenient, and now you have no fucking money. Fuck you. You deserved that. You traded comfort and liberty for safety, and you got neither, and you fucking deserved none of it to begin with. 
Or as that saying go, you traded your you traded your liberty for safety, and you got neither. And you deserved neither. I don't support social benefits. I don't support social security or any of that bullshit. It's all communist and socialist bullshit that this country can barely afford to maintain. And quite frankly, I'll say as far as it can't afford to maintain. But all right, commie. To what widows would, would have received... Um, a widower denied social security benefits equal to what a widow would have received at the time enabled him to devote himself to raising his young child. Yeah, I... Dude, work two jobs. Something. It's not the fucking government's job to make sure that you receive the money to raise your fucking kid. It's your kid! Number one problem in this country is the government raising these fucking people. These cases exemplified her concern with sexual stereotypes, which she believed harmed men as well as women. By carefully managing her litigation and building legal advances... On a successive precedence that she won, Ruth ultimately persuaded the Supreme Court to set the standard of the heightened scrutiny when considering sex discrimination. I remember, and this part is going to lead us into our next story. Lol. I remember how wonderful, or I remember Ruth as a wonderful colleague. I enjoyed opportunities to take her to lunch. One time that stands out in my memory was when she had just returned from a trip to China China, with a delegation from the American Bar Association at the very end of the Cultural Revolution, which fucking celebrated and communists killing people in the streets. For the previous decade, China had been closed to the rest of the world, and I was eager to hear from her about what happened to law. The courts, legal defense, and legal education, I kept her, uh, I kept her lunch for a good part of the afternoon. I kept her at lunch for a good part of the afternoon. Many years later, when I was traveling regularly to China, I arranged to give her a lecture on American, uh, American civil liberties at Beijing University Law School. I saw Ruth at the event in Washington shortly before the pandemic shutdown. We were only able to speak briefly in those few minutes. She had to clear uh, she had to clear me how eager she was to survive until a new president could be could appoint her successor. Given <laughs> the ravages of the multiple forms of cancer this cancerous bitch had, she endured. I think I think she survived as long as she did through sheer willpower. Even though she lived a long life full of great relationships with Martin Ginsburg, her greatest supporter in our misfortune that she is no longer with us. Her legacy will remain with us forever. Yeah, which legacy? The legacy where she's a fucking alcoholic lush or the fact that she ended up hating Roe v. Wade. Now let's get into the real juice and potatoes. Y'all remember that famous picture of her (laughs) out cold fucking sleeping? Yeah, she was drunk. Almost every time this bitch was asleep in public, it wasn't because she was old or because she didn't sleep well the night before. It's because she was hammered. She would drink with Nancy fucking Pelosi or she would go to these big fancy dinners before she would have to do, you know, her job. And she'd be like, oh, well, this dinner had to have wine to go with it. The fucking cunt. Ginsburg, I wasn't 100% sober over here at Politico from uh, February 13th, 2015. Blame it on the alcohol. 
Supreme Court Justice Ruth Alcoholic Ginsburg blames falling asleep at this year's State of the Union address on not being, quote, 100% sober. And this happened multiple times. She even says, I usually sleep through these things. It's your fucking job to be awake. This cunt should have been ejected years ago. Quote, the audience for the most part is awake because they are bobbing up and down. And we sit there stone-faced. Yeah, you're judges. You're supposed to display impartiality. It's your fucking job, you dumb whore said Thursday during an event hosted by the Smithsonian Associate Associates in Washington, D.C., according to CNN. She continued, quote, but we're not, quote, at, or, quote, but we're not, at least I was not 100% sober. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure there are plenty of fucking alkies. You and your favorite drinking buddy, Sonia Sotomayor, comes to mind immediately. Also on Politico, uh, fuck it. Ginsburg is more, eh, moving on. Or relevant to the story, and another thing to debunk later. Ginsburg was famously caught napping at the 2010 State of the Union address. In, and some reported seeing the Supreme Court justice dozing off at the 2015 address as well. Ginsburg admitted that this year she had slept through the speech, as I quote, often do. Quote, I vow this year just sparkling water. Stay away from the wine. You're a fucking judge! You shouldn't be drinking before any public events. You shouldn't be drinking before you go on the bench. You shouldn't be fucking drinking on the clock. God, thank God you're dead. Cunt. And what's their excuse? But dinner was so delicious, it needed wine. Not when you have a fucking job to do afterwards. God damn, this would be me like, well, you know, I was hanging out with my friends at a Grateful Dead concert before I went to work, and, you know, Grateful Dead concert required me to do copious amounts of shrooms, but, you know, I made it to work anyway, I know I was dancing around and fucking the outlets in the wall, but, you know, <laughs> a good part of it required good drugs, you fucking cunt, I really fucking hate her. She was one of the worst Supreme Court justices we've ever fucking had. She was an activist first, a Democrat second, a socialist third, and a justice tenth. I vow this year just sparkling water. Bitch, you should be drinking just water before any public or tax-funded event. You and Pelosi showing up hammered. You ever notice that Nancy Pelosi has a full fucking flask set up in front of her fucking seat? God, I hate this bitch. She said, speaking about the dinner party beforehand, in which Justice Anthony Kennedy brought, quote, very fine wine. Cunt. She reported getting home from the event to call, uh, to call from one of her granddaughters, uh, to, to a call from one of her granddaughters, and quote, she said, "Bubbly, you are. Is it Bubby? You were sleeping." Ginsburg said. Justice Antonin Scalia, who was also at the Thursday night event, told moderator Nina Thunberg of NPR that he stopped going to the addresses years ago. It's still part of your fucking job, cunt. 
But this bitch was getting hammered before she showed up to trials, before she showed up to the bench, and before every speaking event she won. And we all wrote her off as being just old. No, she was hammered. And if you look here, he's looking at her like she might be fucking dead. Now, the last article I'm going to read to you before I show you clips of the famous Jane, Jane Roe admitting that she was lying and paid to pass a fake rape story. This shit boils my fucking mind sometimes. Because people believe all this bullshit. The right ones to be like, well, she hated fucking everybody, man. She didn't do nothing for, for men. She only did shit for women, and she only wanted to kill babies. No, she passed a lot of things in the Supreme Court that helped men. Right? And the feminists don't want to admit that either, because the feminists want to be like, she was all about my rights and getting me to have the same power. Which translates to having more rights than men. Uh, having, having the power in society equal to that. And she wanted me to be able to have abortions. No, no, she didn't. She wanted you to be equal, for the most part, with men. She wanted everybody to be equally fucking miserable. And she ended up hating the Roe v. Wade decision. Everything these pinko pussy bitches celebrate about Ginsburg, Ginsburg hated and did not believe in herself. So feel free, by the end of this episode, to take notes to shit on any of these dumbasses around you who want to say, the green tourist RBG. RBG was not a feminist. She was just a pseudo-socialist activist first. Now, there was a lot of things she did for women, which were more to, you know, push forth her activist agenda. Her core tenet, at the end of the day, like I said, was to weaponize the Supreme Court for activism. She did do things that helped men, but her predominant goal was to promote socialism and communism through the Supreme Court, passing as many things she could through the court, which granted more power for the federal government to allocate funds a la every single social or social security bill or anything that went before the Supreme Court that she ruled in favor of. Ginsburg was an alcoholic twat munch who managed to eke by on the fact that she was a feminist icon. When no, no she wasn't. She absolutely was not. And by the way, you have a dream, as you said earlier. I was saying earlier about her views on abortions and her views on women being oppressed in America. But ultimately, things with the 14th Amendment were a great thing that she helped get done. But that's the thing. She only helped. All the great things she can be credited for, it wasn't just her doing it. But... James, you said a whole lot about her not being in favor of uh, of Roe v. Wade. Why is that? Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ginsburg offers critique of Roe v. Wade during law school visit from May 15th, 2013 from Meredith Hag- Hagney. Casual observers of the Supreme Court who came to the law school to hear Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg speak about Roe v. Wade likely expected a simple message from the longtime defender of reproductive and women's rights. Lol. Roe was a good decision. I like how that's the uh, outlet's opinion being asserted, by the way. Those more acquainted with Ginsburg and her thoughtful, nuanced approach to difficult legal questions were not surprised, however... To hear, we're not surprised, however, to hear her say just the opposite, 
that Roe v. Wade was a faulty decision for Ginsburg, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision that affirmed a woman's right, air quote, right, to an abortion was too far-reaching and too sweeping, and it gave anti-abortion rights activists very tangible targets to rally against in the four decades since. And not to mind you, the entire Roe v. Wade ruling was built upon a false rape case that never happened and revolved around an abortion that also never happened. It was all a lie cooked up by a lot of the people Ginsburg ran in the circles of. And there's not one part of me that doesn't think back in the day Ginsburg did not already know this in the beginning. Regret later on does not justify knowingly, neglectfully acting in the past. Now, I'm assuming that because Ginsburg was in good with all these elite activist organizations because she was a part of all these elite activist organizations. And again... Would not turn up a pa- would not turn up a chance to pass any ruling that gave the government as much power as possible. Biatch. As we said earlier, the the fucking cases they referenced where she helped men. Other than the Thirteenth Amendment one, again, that's a good one. That's a good one. But the other one was, well, I'm not getting enough money from the government that they, you know, the government steals money from the taxpayers, and I'm not getting enough money of that. So I want more of it. No, the answer should just be no. Stupid. Ow. Let's see. Quote, my criticism of Roe is that it seemed to have stopped the movement on the side of change. Ginsburg said she would have preferred that the abortion rights be secured more gradually in the process that included state legislators and the courts, meaning states should have been allowed to over time pass their own laws regarding abortion. You know, and she says the the courts help. It's almost like every single state has its own Supreme Court within it. Mm. And by the way, the entire country is split into sections overseen by different Supreme Court. Just I don't know if you know this or not. So like Michigan and Ohio and this clump of like Rust Belt states, one of the justices in the Supreme Court has overarching say over the Supreme Courts in these air, in these states. Fun fact. It's a bit convoluted to dive into, though. <clears throat> Preferred over time, gradually the process including legislative courts. She added, Ginsburg also was troubled that the focus of Roe v. Roe was on the right to privacy rather than a woman's rights. Uh, yeah, but completely disregard the baby's rights. Quote, Roe isn't about the woman's choice, is it? Ginsburg said, quote, it's about the doctor's freedom to practice. It wasn't a woman, it wasn't woman-centered. It was physician-centered. I like how you agree with this, anything besides it wasn't, it was anti-Tenth Amendment. So they're unconstitutional, but, you know, hey, leap and bounds, leap and bounds. In the introduction for Ginsburg, Skill, shill, shill, okay, fair, at least they're calling themselves by what they are, spoke of her ties to the law school. Her late husband, Martin, is a professor, blah, 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 blah. Scroll down a little bit. Ginsburg and Stone each had an important, had important perspectives to share on Roe and other gender-related cases of that era. The same year as Roe, Ginsburg argued, and by the way, if you want to say, well, you said she was she said she was pro pro life. I said pseudo pro life. 
big difference. Ginsburg argued her first case before the Supreme Court, Fontiero versus Richardson, wherein she advocated that strict scrutiny be applied to sex classifications just as it were just as it was to racial classifications and it shouldn't be on either you want to know why because the courts shouldn't care either way about your race gender or background they should care exclusively about the facts of the matter now when you pass rules or mandates affecting these processes you now have introduced the element of biases to the court that weren't there previously. But that's just my opinion, I guess. She could persuade only four, ju- I, I wonder why, justices to her side. But in the wake of Frontero, the court established a standard of intermediate scrutiny for constitutional issues of gender. The Constitution doesn't say shit about gender, and when it says men, it is referring to the abbreviation of mankind. You know, all men are created equal. It's not saying all biological men. No, it's saying all men, as in mankind. It's just kind of another concept for some people, I imagine. Two years before that, she wrote the brief uh, in the 1971 Supreme Court case, Reed v. Reed, which overturned in Idaho law granting men preference as a state administrators and extended the Constitution's equal protection guarantee for women for the first time. Stone, for his part, was clerking for the Supreme Court William Brennan during Fenero versus Roe, and Roe, my apologies, and, you don't need to put an and for the fucking comma, he recalled watching Ginsburg oral arguments, and I imagine many people want to watch any kind of other oral from her, in the former case, which he called mesmerizing simp. In her back and forth with Stone, Ginsburg offered many fascinating observations. She talked, it's your opinion that they were fascinating, she talked about what life was like for women in the, quote, not-so-good old days when judges believed the laws restricting women from certain works, such as bartending or lawyering, were there to protect the fairer sex. Her goal as liberator, as, liber- as a litigator, my bad, was to show judges that these rules marginalized women rather than protect them from harm. She said that only, quote, well-heeled girls and women who found themselves with an unwanted pregnancy had the option to get an abortion by traveling abroad, while poor women had no such option. Oh, that's not true. Unless they were, like, held down and inseminated, They had pre-choice, meaning they could have just said no, or alternatively, not, you know, had sex, or found some way to get protection, like a condom, maybe, or Eve, hell, who may not have been around, sure, 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 uh, pull-out's been around since the fucking beginning, and pulling out is 100% effective, you know, so I don't know. You have to convince me of two things if you say that kind of bullshit. She has to be held down, like I said, inseminated. There's only a couple ways that can fucking happen, you know? Or, hmm, and here's just kind of a wild idea. You're making a straw man that doesn't technically exist. It's kind of a thought. And well-heeled girls and women who found themselves with an unwanted pregnancy, well-heeled. Hmm, well-heeled. 
Same argument I'm hearing now. Well, if states are allowed to make their own decisions on abortion, man, only the rich and powerful will be able to get abortions. Yet, if that's the fucking case, uh, bro. I mean, there's that fake story about that Ohio girl who got raped by some fucking lawn keeper that never actually happened. Now she had to drive over state lines, man. Well, well, actually, okay, so the rape did happen, but her mom was, like, kind of, like, whoring this little girl out anyway, and then her mom picked up a whole fixer about driving over borders to get an abortion when, no, the abortion was completely legal within Ohio, and they had it because it was considered a threat to the pregnant woman, and in this case, pregnant child's life. So, in the case for the mother, there was that exception. And in almost every state, pre-Roe v. Wade, that's how it was functioning. And that's how it, guess what, in almost every state, where abortion is illegal, they have exceptions for the health of the mother. That's not a new policy. That policy was there pre-Roe as well. Again, not in all states. There are some states that have 1,000% abortion bans, but even then, good luck enforcing that. And also, mm, I guess this is not a date particularly given on when this was. Well, it says pre, right? Let's see, the good old, the not so, so good old days, just to believe restricting women from certain works, such as, oh, whatever, okay. Well, healed girls, okay. Uh, while poor girls had no such option. Oh, yes, that's right. Just like how the poor, the poors have no access to travel. They also have no access to photo ID. And you know what I'm referencing with that one. Quote, for most young women, the only way to deal with it was to marry him. Ginsburg said, well, again, unless you were held on and inseminated, you could have said no, but you didn't, so you chose to get knocked up. Again, if there's rape, that's a whole different situation, but overwhelmingly back then, no. You just got knocked up before you were pregnant, and you didn't want to deal with the social scrutiny of that. And by the way, the social scrutiny thing was a good thing. It kept the moral cohesion and homogeny down and fucking regular. But now, with all that shit shattering, there is no social cohesion. So, uh, yeah, pre-choice is a thing. Ginsburg talked about the case she wished she would have been. Uh, she would have been the first reproductive freedom case before the U.S. Supreme Court struck the uh, struck versus sanctuary or secretary of defense. In that case, Ginsburg represented Captain Susan Strzok, who was serving the Air Force in Vietnam. She became pregnant. Oh, gee, I wonder how that happened. The Air Force gave her two options, terminate or leave the Air Force. Struck wanted to keep the baby and her job. Well, you can't have all, and you should not have been allowed to keep all. And Ginsburg took her case. The Supreme Court agreed to hear her case, but the Air Force relented and allowed Struck to keep her job, rendering the issue mute. She should have been fucking booted. By the way, she was married. Is it her baby in that belly? Is, is it her, her husband's baby in that belly? Or is that one of her fucking randos she was t- teamed up with? Again, women entering the workforce and women entering the armed service have been almost nothing but a unanimous fucking disaster. Workplace pregnancy and military pregnancies have just skyrocketed. And now we have retardations like fucking matern- maternity outfits. I know this headline here says Navy, but it's not just Navy. It was all branches, Air Force, Marines, all of them, bro. They introduced fucking pregnancy outfits. 
Dude, if you're a pregnant woman, first off, if you're a woman in the service in general, you're next to fucking useless. You're going to be a drain and a pain in the ass for everyone in your fucking unit, and you being there is just going to increase the chance of other good men getting fucking killed because you're there. First off, women do not belong in the fucking military at all, and here's why. Sure, okay, yeah, secretary jobs, cook jobs, no combatant roles whatsoever. Why? Women's job is simple. You're here to bring life into this world and to nurture and raise and care for that life. It's one of the most beautiful gifts and jobs the Lord ever created for women. And men's job have always been to be the provider and the protector. We're really fucking with nature here. When we put them in the army and fighting roles and so on and so forth, then we allow them to get knocked up by the men in their unit and continue to allow them to serve while they're fucking pregnant. And by the way, men can run faster, longer, stronger bones, thicker skin, pretty much designed for war and combat because we're stronger, we're sturdier. Women are dainty and fragile and more prone to get shell-shocked and more prone to get fucking blown up and ripped to shreds than men are on the battlefield. Also get a little bit more scatterbrained under pressure. Um, ever asked a woman what she wants to do, where she wants to eat? Yeah, that. But that kind of lost expression on the battlefield, you're fucked. Not to mention, how many men are going to be killed trying to drag a injured female from the battlefield? Hmm? And I say that because men have a hardwire instinct to protect women. So when you introduce women into, you know, platoons and staffing and whatnot, they're going to be a hindrance because when they're not in combat, men are going to be looking at women because they want to fuck. And when they are in combat, they're going to be looking at them over the rest of their fucking squad's back because that's how we're hardwired by nature is to watch out for this broad's fucking back which is a distraction from the fucking mission at hand. But no, thanks to fucking Ginsburg, we now have reached the point where we have fucking pregnant women in the Navy, in the Air Force, in all these different units of the fucking military in combatant roles. Yeah, because nothing screams intimidation to a country like China like a fucking pregnant land whale screaming and waddling at them with her swollen fucking ankles and her lactating tits. Screams, America the Strong, right? Get fucked. Ugh, making the thing mute. Fuck you. Quote, I wish I would have been there for that first case. I think the court would have better understood what that was about. That that was about women's choice, Ginsburg said. In response, students questioned her about what would happen if Roe <laughs> were overturned now. <laughs> we can only fucking wonder. She said the effect would largely be restricted to poor women in anti-choice states. Many states would never outlaw abortion, and wealthier women will always be able to travel to those states, she pointed out. Quote, if you have, a if you have the sophistication and the money. So why does sophistication have to be part of that? Are you just assuming that, like, you know, like, poorly mannered people couldn't get wealthy? Bam Margera is a millionaire, is a multimillionaire, and he's a junky piece of white trash, bro. So why, why is it with the left and these fucking lefty cunts having this attitude of only the sophisticated with money? It's like, bro, bro, you have 
fucking Flava Flav is the farthest thing from sophisticated, and he's wealthier than Ginsburg ever dreamed of being. The fuck are you on about, bitch? But it's that uh, liberal, I'm higher up on the totem pole than you. You have some place in the U.S. where your choice can be exercised in a safe manner. She said, quote, it would mean poor women have no choice. That doesn't make sense as a policy. And that's not what happened. You had like one state where they're trying to do an all-out complete ban. And the other states, which had trigger laws that everyone fear-mongered about, every one of them has laws that say, with exception for the health of the mother. Miss me with your bullshit. But... Let's move on to the last article. It's more of just a headline I'm going to read. And then we're going to watch a couple of videos and wrap this up. What's this? Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying wish was not to be replaced until there's a new president. Well, get fucked, you old haggerty fucking cunt. You social psychom activist. Because, let's face it, Amy Coney Barrett, ACB better than RGB. And you're just going to read the head points. Just days before her death, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that her most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. And I like how she says, installed. Not elected, installed. This bitch may have been clued into something. Honk, honk. NPR, which first broke the news of Ginsburg's passing, great day, great day, reported that the liberal associate justice dedicated her wish to her granddaughter, Clara Spera. And you know what? I am so grateful that Donald Trump said, fuck your final wish, you old crone bitch, and put a, like, what is he? She's, like, Catholic or some shit? Anyway, posted the mirror option, the fucking bizarro Ginsburg. And I'm not a big fan of uh, of uh, Coney Bear. She hasn't shown a whole lot, but the shit she has shown has been good. She's shown interest in overturning the NFA. She's voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. And before all this, Amy Coney Barrett was in all sorts of, like, pro-2A activist groups and Women's March for Life, Relay for Life, which is a cancer thing. And she also was a big fucking part of March for Life, which is a anti-abortion rally held in D.C. regularly. Amy Coney Barrett is the bizarro version of Ginsburg, whereas Ginsburg would occasionally do a good ruling that helped men or men and women equally. Rarely. That's why these articles, I just I read you three articles about Ginsburg, and they only reference the same two court cases against all these articles, saying these were the th- ways where she helped men and helped women both, because she only helped men on, like, two occasions. Helped a fucking, sorry, a terrible practice of allowing knocked-up dames to be in the fucking service. Dame shouldn't be in the fucking service in a combat role anyway. And it's because that's all she fucking contributed. But, lol. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, said in a statement Friday night that Trump's next nominee will receive a vote on the floor of the United States Senate. And it fucking happened. Now we're going to move on. And I'm, I'm done talking. We're just going to watch a couple of videos together to give you an idea. Now, this is a clip from Deathbed Confessions. It's a show FX ran for quite a while. And this is from the short series of this particular show called AKA Jane Roe. Because it was, Jane Roe is an alias, like Jane Doe. In fact, Jane Roe is a play on the name, the alias known as Jane Doe. 
Just like we have John Doe. It refers to, Jane Doe refers to a woman found dead who I cannot be identified. A John Doe refers to the same thing, but for the male counterpart. Now, this right here, this old woman here, has quite the interesting story. Once the fucking jewel in the goddamn crown of the pro-abortion camp turned demonized, most hated woman in America by the very people who celebrated and cheered her only a few years prior. About seven or eight years or so after the Roe v. Wade ruling came out, she went public, got baptized, came to the light of God and said, look, I was paid to lie. Here are the receipts and the names of the people who lie, who told me to lie. And here are some of those scripts they had me fucking read. And like that, clockwork. She was paid by pro-abortionists to say this, man. When we have proof that pro-abortionists were offering her larger sums of money than she was accused of accepting, even back in the day. She accepted zero money on record, and it's never been proven, I say on record, because it's never been proven that she received a single paycheck from any of these fucking people. From what we can see, she volunteered her time for the rest of her life, even as she died from cancer, protesting and demonstrating and demanding the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the same Roe v. Wade in which she was the fucking Roe. Roe hated Roe v. Wade. So Ginsburg and Roe are not the pro-abortion feminist icons you want them to be. They're also not the right-wing punching bags the right wants them to be either. It's an interesting dichotomy. But leave it to me to shoot right down the middle and tell you what a piece of shit both of them were. Let's get into this. And she's a piece of shit for accepting the money in the first place. And she knows it and she admits it. That's why I can't hold it too hard against her. RBG, B. Ginsburg, cannot admit the same thing and will only passively say, yeah, that was a bad call. Did they use you as a trophy? Of course. I was the big fish. I was the big fish. And now these are different journalists and former Democrats associates who worked on the Roe v. Wade case. And they're going to pretend like, oh, we didn't know. Well, I think it was. Do you think they would say they used them? Well, I think it was a mutual thing. You know, I took their money and they put me out in front of the cameras and told me what to say. That's what I'd say. Wow. <laughs> I took their money and they put me out in front of the cameras and told me what to say. Fun fact: If you watch the whole documentary, just for some context, this is the first time these people are being shown this, and it's bullshit. It's not the first time either of these assholes have heard her say this. She's been saying this consistently since the late 80s. Bro, Reagan could still form a coherent sentence when she started speaking out against the Roe v. Wade ruling. But these shills are going to act like, oh, this is tragic. This is the first time we've heard this. I guess we really did take advantage of her, it seems. Bitch! Yeah, get the fake tears going, cunt. And by the way, I love how these assholes always had to put on the fake show of Christianity, right? In me, I'll at least admit it that I'm a Lutheran, right? I was raised Lutheran around a lot of different religions, but my mom and the bulk of my family are Lutheran or various types of Protestant. 
and I'm not going to sit here. I can quote Bible verses. I can, you know, reference things and verses and chapters and Genesis's and <laughs> Genesis's a particular book in the Bible. Anyway, but I'm not going to sit here and give you the false illusion that I'm some devout fucking. I'm not. I'm still learning, and I fuck up every single day. Some days, by the end of the day, I get closer to the light of God. Some days, you know, I take five steps away from the light of God. It's a fucking, it's like, uh, it's like exercising. Some days, you know, there's weeks where you go, weeks and weeks where you go, just every day, working out, eating right. But then you have those days where you just fucking slack off. You eat junk food, you do bad shit that you know you're not supposed to do, and you feel bad about it. Religion's the same way, but these assholes, they want you to know and Think and, and they want you to think and feel that they are these deep, morally religious, just devout people. When honestly, they're all part. A lot of them are part of the World Economic Forum, which is an openly satanic cult of globalists. Sorry, you can't argue for Roe v. Wade and abortion, and then turn on and say like, "Blessed be thy father, thy will be done." You're doing the opposite of what "thy will be done" should be. Give me an example of what you say. We've gathered here today to pay homage to the children that are being aborted in this abortuary. We're doing this because abortion is wrong. And I, as the former Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade, do regret signing the affidavit for the pro-abortion camps. That was probably about it. It was full enough. I did it well, too. I am a good actress. Hmm. Of course, I'm not acting now. I did it well, too. She had a little bit of a history in theater before all this happened. Go figure. Busted. That, that really hurts because... Shakes. It's big stakes. It's all just really big stakes. Yeah, you were lied to, cunt. And your answer isn't... Yo, oh, big stakes, big stakes. Yes, it's big stakes because, and this came out, this documentary came out in the middle of 2020. You're right. It's a big, big, because these stakes could lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You weren't crying because you were complicit in pushing a fucking lie upon the American people that let the Supreme Court pass. Let's be honest, Roe v. Wade was a fucking law. The Supreme Court cannot pass laws, but we just let them do it. It's the number one problem in this country is we don't say, hey, you don't have the ability to do that, so you're not doing it. We just say, wait, aren't you not supposed Okay, I mean, you do have more power than me. And that's the most passive cuck thing this country's ever become. How did a country that said 1776, bitch, come get these fucking tea bags, turn into, well, the government says so, you know, they said so. No, we were a country born on saying fuck the government. And yet, here y'all are. Not y'all listening, but you know what I mean. Just the general, here y'all are, fucking licking that boot. Cunts. I had never heard her say anything like this. Lies. Ever. And I'll prove it. But I know what we were doing. And there were times I was sure she knew. And I wondered, is she playing us? What I didn't have the guts to say was, because I know damn well we're playing her. Mm-hmm. 
again, based, true, honest statement. They're finally starting to admit it a little bit, but I do not buy for one goddamn second that he'd never heard her say anything like that before. She has done dozens of interviews. She was suppressed and pushed off the edge of the fucking planet because she came out and said, I was paid to lie. What we did with Norma was highly unethical. Mm-hmm. The jig is up. No shit. No shit. And I remember, I remember when this documentary came out, right? And I rolled my fucking eyes. I rolled my eyes like, this is dumb. They're going to color code and share code fucking everything. Because I knew, I knew that there was a level of lying that went into that court case. I did not understand the full depth of the fucking lie. But this documentary does omit one important detail. That a lot of the same people acting like, oh, I had no idea she felt this way or that she said this. Um, buddy, you did. I don't know why the documentary let that slide. Again, watch it. You can find it, you know, on, uh, you know, you can find it on certain websites. And I'll tell you what, just because I like you guys and you've sat this long into it, I'm going to give you guys a uh, tool. It's a handy little dandy tool right here. And just uh, look for this. Preferably on Brow, on Brave, or DuckDuckGo, and you'll have access to every single movie and TV show ever created, completely free, unpaid for, and uh, for legal reasons, allegedly, it's not a pirate site. And I am, I am in no way promoting you go use a site that lets you not pay for all the bullshit Hollywood lazily cranks out, including this documentary, which is actually fairly good. It just omits a couple glaring details, and. I can't act like I'm the one who fucking discovered a lot of this shit about Roe v. Wade. The reason why I learned anything about Roe v. Wade being complete bullshit is because Sticks Hexenhammer. I know, right? I, I referenced, I've referenced him twice today. I don't know why. It's just worked out that way serendipitously. But the last one was about occults. And, you know, he's the occult guy as far as I'm concerned. That's what I started watching his content for back in the day. And then politics became my favorite thing with him. Though... Also, the Hawaiian shirts, man. Fucking hell yeah. Though, he did a deep dive. He didn't, I didn't even know a lot of that. I would later on through some independent research find out some of the stuff. But he he mentioned about Ginsburg being, being a former activist with the ACLU and talked about Jane here, fake Jane Roe here, lying about her story. I had no idea, right? And then this documentary came out and I watched it. I was like, wow, wow. So no, full shout out to Razor Fist and Stick Sex and Hammer. Because uh, I don't remember any of that. Oh, was it? I think... I'm pretty sure Razorfist also did a video, like, right after Roe v. Wade got overturned about it. And if you're not subscribed to Razorfist or Hex Stick Sex and Hammer, go look them up on YouTube or wherever you watch your content. Amazing content creators. I enjoy their work greatly. And now, there's just one more... Let's see. What's this? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll leave a link to this in the article below. Uh, this is talking about schools and their ability to take uh little you know girls to get abortions and allow you know how schools can provide medical treatments to your children without the parents having to know this episode is running really long in the tooth we have an episode where I dove into this uh it's a little bit worse than i remember but it's been like four years since i did an episode about this so this will be in the description below let's get to this video right here and i'm gonna put this bitch into a little extra speed. The Supreme Court today ruled that a 
abortion is completely a private matter to be decided by mother and doctor in the first three months of pregnancy. She's the woman once known only as Jane Roe. We hear arguments number 18, uh, Roe against... Uh... Now, when did this come out? See, this is from at least nine years ago, but let's see. Interview with... Uh, interview by Ted Koppel, ABC News, with Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Roe, re her recent decisions to join... Uh, Operation Rescue in opposing abortion despite having been the plaintiff in the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in 1973. Taped segment with Cookie Roberts, ABC... Uh, God, I just want to know the year. Well, 1973 is the oldest year reference. Oh, right here. From 1995. All right, this is from at least 1995. Right, but 2020 was the first time these people who worked closely with Jane Roe ever heard her say any of this stuff. Bullshit. Wait. The plaintiff in the court case that made abortion legal. Here we go, Miss Norma. But now, she's having second thoughts. I'm volunteering for Operation Rescue. Tonight, one woman's journey, an interview with Norma McCorvey. <laughs> This is ABC News Nightline, reporting from Washington. And before I get a comment saying, yeah, well, anyone's going to grift on a situation like this, there was more lucrative reoccurring payments for her to keep her fucking mouth shut. She was willing to risk throwing away every single person giving her money constantly. She was receiving under-the-table funding from all sorts of DNC operatives. She sacrifice that shit in order to come clean. I genuinely believe her remorseful tale, but I understand why people would call her a grifter. You know, hey, look, people were, fuck, during the Revolutionary War, people were like, Washington? Like, the British general who was, like, whooping her ass earlier? He's, like, on our side? The great, famous General George Washington from from the British? And we're supposed to just trust that he's on our side because he said so? Yeah, I get it. I get being suspicious. Keep that suspicion. I'm not going to try and talk you out of it. I'm saying what I believe. Always be suspicious of me and everyone around you. Never trust anyone. But stay optimistic. As long as she was Jane Roe, the anonymous plaintiff in the landmark Roe v. Wade abortion rights case before the Supreme Court, she was a perfect symbol of the pro-choice movement. That's the way it usually is, with symbols and icons and poster people. To a certain extent, the less we know about them, the better. The minute that Jane Roe emerged from anonymity in 1984 and revealed herself to be Norma McCorvey, the symbol... 84. So early 80s. I thought it was late 80s. I thought it was like 86 or 87. 84. Okay, earlier than I remember. Or earlier than I thought. I guess maybe I just never heard that one. I thought it was later. Hmm. ...complications. She was, it turned out, a drug addict and dealer, an alcoholic. She had dabbled in the occult. She is a lesbian. While she became a proponent of a woman's right to an abortion, and while she would work for several abortion clinics, Norma McCorvey clearly bridled at the feeling that the pro-choice movement's leadership was keeping her at arm's length. She saw herself as an historic icon of the movement, even if they preferred keeping their distance. She is, as you will hear later in this program, someone who seeks and needs a lot more positive recognition than she has received. And that, as Cokie Roberts now reports, may be the reason that Norma McCorvey, who clearly is still working out some of the details, is having second thoughts about abortion. 
I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This was the kind of conversion the pro-life movement has been praying for. There she is! This was the woman whose name is as familiar as any in the land, the embodiment of the pro-choice cause. My name is Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Roe. Jane Roe's case changed the country. It threw out dozens of state laws against abortion, and it started a monumental political debate that's still raging 22 years later. For the first 11 of those years, she remained anonymous. But when she came forward, Norma McCorvey became the emblem of the movement. So she's here today coming out of hiding for this, and we appreciate yeah. her courage. Go with I used to have women that used to come up to me all the time and they'd say, I would thank, oh, Norma, I want to thank you. You know, if it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't have finished college. Or if it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't have done this. You know, and I used to look at them, and I, and I would envy them because they got to choose. They had the right to choose. And I never had the right to choose. And Norma McCorvey never had an abortion. She was 21 years old, not married, and pregnant with her third child at a time when abortion was illegal in Texas. She went to lawyer Sarah Weddington, who took the case all the way to the Supreme Court, where Warren Berger was presiding. We hear arguments in number 18, uh, Roe against uh, Wade. Mrs. Weddington, you may proceed whenever you're ready. By that time, Norma McCorvey's baby, who had been put up for adoption at birth, was two years old. Jane Roe's story was a terrible one. She said she had been gang raped, gotten pregnant. Was Did you notice that? There was no abortion. The baby was born. Oof. Oof. And get ready for the rest of the meat and potatoes. By that time, Norma McCorvey's baby, who had been put up for adoption at birth, was two years old. Jane Rowe's story was a terrible one. She said she had been gang-raped, gotten pregnant, was desperate to get an abortion. That's what everyone believed, as long as Jane Rowe remained anonymous. When she went public, she told a different story. You were raped while you were in Georgia? <laughs> no, I wasn't. You were not? No, I wasn't. Oh, so all those stories that are in the books and so forth are not true? Yes, sir. Yes. They're not true. Right. And it turned out that lying wasn't the only embarrassment this darling of the pro-choice forces presented. In her personal treatise published last year, Norma McCorvey told the story of her son... Completely off-topic, but if Princess Diana survived her car accident, she'd probably look something like that. ...forces presented. In her personal treatise published last year, Norma McCorvey told the story of her somewhat sordid life. Then, she still adamantly supported abortion. Now, she adds that to the list of sins she took with her into the baptismal pool. I've cheated people out of money. I've sold drugs. I, you know, I, I, just, I, was, I was an abusive alcoholic for, you know, many, many years. Um, I've done a lot against his teachings. Um, and I, I think the far greater sin that I did was to be the plaintiff in Roe versus Wade. And we would encourage them to choose life, not death. Amen? The man who brought Norma McCorvey to that view was the Reverend Flip Benham, a leader of the radical anti-abortion group Operation Rescue. He's radical. Fuck off. Jesus Christ, radical. They showed up and protested. Ah. It's really funny, right? Not much has changed, right? You show up and you have little picket signs and pictures of fetuses on, on, on billboards. You're a radical. But you come out and you burn down a whole fucking city and start and, you know, try to start a fucking race riot. It's a... Mostly peaceful, but fiery protest. Set up shop next door to the abortion clinic where Norma McCorvey worked and made enemies with her and then friends. We want very much for her to be absolutely who God made her, not who we want her to be. Not that we force ourselves on her and she'll just be beautifully, supernaturally Norma. Her long conversations with Venom turned into a religious conversion and to a change in her views on abortion. I, I do want to throw something out here. If you wanted to convince me that this whole thing was a grift, that right there is how you fucking do it. Why is she wearing a microphone? That's how you convince me that it's a grift. Because you should never, under any circumstance, unless you're like a minister doing a live stream of your church or something, 
let people record you in such an intimate, private moment. Perhaps it's soapbox. I mean, if it is, please kick the soapbox out from underneath me. But that would be the picture you need to present me to say, that's a grifter. I don't. It's part of the documentary. I'm assuming it's a show that she's sincere in her views, but praying with a microphone on you does not exactly scream sincerity. I'm just saying it's a bad PR look. Her long conversations with Venom turned into a religious conversion and to a change in her views on abortion, which seemed to be still evolving. I still believe in a woman's right to choose a safe and legal abortion, but only in the first trimester. Anything past the first trimester, as it was handed down in Roe vs. Wade, um, I, I consider killing. Many people will wonder what impact this will have on the pro-choice movement. I don't think it should have any impact at all. That was the chorus sung by activists in the abortion cause today. I'm not really sure that there, there will be any impact on the pro-choice movement since she wasn't one of the leaders of the movement. Um, it was her story and her situation that was the symbol for the movement, not Norma McCorvey herself. It's not going to overturn the current regime of laws, but it's going to have a powerful impact on a lot of people. I do love it. It's telling the language they use. Regime. Rule. Regime. Hmm? Again, they, they, they tell you they're authoritarian. You just gotta fucking listen to the words they use. You know, pay attention when people tell you who they are. They're probably telling you the truth. Well, that the woman whose case made abortion legal. What's with the it's eyes? Your mind. It's going it to have an impact, eyes. a personal impact on people. And if she decides to speak about it, an emotionally converting impact on some people. And that's got the pro-choice forces worried. The anti-choice movement will just have a field day with this and um, exploit it to... Um, for all it's worth. Norma McCorvey is not a pro-life figurehead. She is a born-again Christian. She's a new creation. But the new creation of Norma McCorvey that emerged from the baptismal waters just Monday night is already... By the way, they're an extremist abortion group. But this woman is publicly saying, you know, I'm not against abortion. I'm against abortions after the first trimester. So you mean to tell me that extremist abortionists, like anti-abortion extremists, are happily affiliated with a woman who isn't a thousand percent from the get-go uh you know pro-life a little interesting right you would think extremists of any topic would want anything to do with anyone who's slightly in favor of the topic they're against in any fashion yet they seem to have welcomed her with open arms fascinating spin abc fascinating spin kooky you kooky bitch perfect name for a fucking journalist and look at how unhappy she is in the eyes it just shows you that this propaganda has never not been part of the american press system the american press has always at the very top of their list been the enemy of the american people becoming a figurehead as she goes public once again with her story she's likely to have traded her status as a symbol of one side of the abortion debate to that of an icon of the other and both sides want her as jane roe norma mccorvey is a different story i'm Kelty roberts for nightline in washington See, when I was younger, my mom did a lot of volunteer work for uh, Right to Life. And by extension, I did a lot of volunteer work for Right to Life because I'm a cute little kid handing out flyers. Before you say, oh, so your mom just made... No, I actually understood a little bit more of what I was talking about than you would think. I uh, grew up watching C-SPAN. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV shows. My mom thought... Uh, back then, my mom was one of these... Uh, she was a little bit ahead of her time, for better or worse. She was... Uh, I, I love my mom, so please, if you're listening to this, mom, I'm not bashing you. If anything, you're probably going to take this as a compliment. She was the, your participation trophy is worthless because you didn't earn it. Everyone got one just for showing up. You could have shown up and done nothing and you would have gotten that trophy. Ouch. Okay. And instead of watching, like, you know, regular TV, I was watching C-SPAN. Because she was like, 
if you just if I put on Fox News or CNN, you're just gonna get one side of the story. You need to get the whole story. I'm five. Let me watch PBS. You're not watching PBS. PBS is funded with stolen money from the taxpayer, and they receive enough private donations that they don't need a single tax dime to stay running. Okay. Okay. And cue my mom being a huge fan of Mitt Romney in 2012, partially because he was saying we're going to cut public funding to networks like PBS or people who... And this is something, you know, Mitt Romney did have some decent, like, populist policies back in the day. I don't know... I, I think I lean towards he's always been a corrupt piece of shit, but I think he was less corrupt back in the day. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't like him, period. But he had like a policy where it's like if you receive like an ex if you receive like more than your overhead fees worth of like private donor like donations and like you have investors and shit, you would no longer receive any public funding. Great policy. I really like that policy. Then with the leaked video we got of him in that hotel that pretty much cost him the election because it looked like he was going to beat the shit out of Obama. Then that clip came out and I was like, ooh. But, but, what's going on? Hold on. Something's weird. But anyway, I remember going to the Michigan Right for Life Center and it originally, now Right for Life has really gone downhill. I would not, you could not pay me to affiliate with that fucking organization anymore the way they fucking copped and sold out. By the way, I gotta love how the people with Right to Life are wearing less and less crosses these days. Seems like, I don't know, like they're not actually Christians or something. But, but, not that you need to be a Christian to be part of it. It's just, I'm noticing a lack of openly religious people involved in Michigan's Right to Life, and it fucking shows. But, besides that point, back then, you know, the t- conversation was about Oh, Gazanel, Dr. Gazanel, you know, the fucking psycho who was receiving, like, lo- like local governments were sending, like, the state government was sending him money to run a clinic. And it was, like, completely above board. He followed as a clinic, so on and so forth. But he was running an abortion clinic out of his fucking house. Like, he would make a sandwich and shit in his fucking, gr- like, like, his fucking, he'd be making sandwiches and shit, eating them, wearing the gloves he'd perform an abortion with. I'm not kidding. You know, I'll make an episode just about that guy since abortion seems to be the fucking flavor of the day. Anyway. So, you know, the conversation was about him and the topic of botched abortions. Botched abortions being when, you know, the abortion is carried out but the child comes out fully, you know, alive and capable of developing and surviving on its own. To which it is typically just thrown either into an incinerator or sold to various universities for research and development. And a lot of times they'll put them in, like, life support or whatever. Uh like a, a small like oxygen tent type dealy keep them alive long enough for someone from a university there in the area or close enough to gather the body i did a deep dive into this uh maybe i'll find it and repost it later you know i will find it and repost it later it's an alex jones's right episode about baby organ harvesting so i'll find that and post it up dark but it's from like three years ago so you guys can understand how shitty i really used to be you think i'm bad now <laughs> i was way worse so you know, I'd be going around handing out these little flyers and stickers for Michigan Right to Life and, you know, doing a little knock-to-knock, door-to-door type deal. I'm a little-ass kid, but I was arguing the topics of, like, botched abortions and shit. It's just, it's funny, right? Like, like these topics never really seem to change too much. When we come back, an interview. McCorvey is a different story. I'm Pokey Roberts for Nightline in Washington. When we come back, an interview we did earlier today with Norman McCorvey. You haven't totally changed them, have you? Ms. McCorvey, uh... What happened? Why did you why did you modify your views? You haven't totally changed them, have you? Uh, well, I've, I've modified my uh, re- religious path. I became a Christian uh, Tuesday night. I was baptized here in Dallas right. uh, by the Reverend Flip Brenham, and um, now I. Oh, yeah, I remember I brought the whole thing about volunteering as a little kid with 
fucking Michigan right to life. Um, somehow this lady never came up, like, at all. And me and my mom were involved with Right to Life till I was, like, 13, 14. Um, yeah, and somehow this story about the whole, Ro- the, the very row of Roe v. Wade being paid to lie and fabricate a whole rape allegation never came up. It's amazing. That stuns me. Um, changed my position on choice. Well, tell me about it. Because uh, you and I were talking earlier this afternoon, and, and you explained to me, but put it in your own words, how do you feel uh, about the notion of abortion now, a woman's right to choose? Well, for years and years, I used to think that um, it was a woman's right a, a woman's right to choose, period. Uh, but after working in four abortion clinics here in the Dallas area and learning a lot more, um, I, what I, seen. I started having inner conflicts with myself, Ted. And... Um, I, I really got extremely depressed when women would call into the clinics and want to... Just think about, like, how barbaric abortions looked at it. Like, you can watch x-rays of abortions. Maybe I'll pull up a video of an x-ray abortion. And you see, like, the, the tongs go in there and they break the arms off and the limbs off and they pull them out bit by bit. Or they got that big suction thing where they go up and they, like, fucking... It's like, uh, it's like the scene from Alien 3 where that little alien-baby hybrid thing gets sucked out the hole in the window. The one with known a writer as an android, that one. Yeah. If you had to watch that shit all day, yeah, you'd probably start to feel guilty too. I mean, God took the time to breathe life into these little bastards and you're over here. But, you know what I will say about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Where she is, it's hotter than hell, but at least there aren't any screaming babies. To make appointments for second trimester abortions. Now, that's a distinction you made when you and I were talking on the phone earlier today also. Second, yes. second trimester abortion. Huh? Yes. How do you feel about a, a woman's right to have an abortion in the first trimester? Well, I, I think for some women, it's, it's, it would be appropriate, you know, especially in the case of fetal deformity. Uh, if they find out early on in the pregnancy that their child or s- suspected child is going to be uh, deformed or b- born without a brain stem or something like that, I, I think that the child should be aborted. I don't think it should be brought into the world. Okay, well, this is going to be a really fucked up sign take from me, right? I disagree. I don't think uh, deformities and deficiencies are cause for abortion. I, I really don't. Now, if... You can say, well, well, you're bringing them into a life of suffering and misery. Well, no, I'm not. They have the right to choose if they want to take themselves out. I, I think suicide is a personal right. That's why I'm not tripping about, like, assisted suicides. My issue with assisted suicides is like, the topic I'm never hearing people talk about, which is when does the government start falsely making up justifications, right? And they start saying, oh, well, these people want it, and they start fabricating shit in order to kill people. Because it will only be a matter of time before these public euthanizations become weaponized against us in some undisclosed documented fashion. Like, how many journalists do you think are all of a sudden become greatly depressed and want assisted suicide? When really what happens is just a cover for them being, you know, Epstein or McAfee, or McAfee, depending on how you say it. Um, <coughs> pardon me. But... I don't think, like, if you if you have, like, the prenatal test for Down syndrome and it comes back, that your kid will be likely for Down syndrome. I think that child has every right to still be born. Your kid's going to have the fucking face of the elephant man. So be it. it. That that kid will, you know... And I would expect a parent to raise that child and love them and treat them no differently than they would a kid of any other... Like, any other kid without any issues or deficiencies. Because that's the thing, right? Um, when I went to, okay, this is another, I'm sorry, but you're in it this far, right? There's a girl I know named, uh, Anna. She was in a wheelchair, and she'll be in the wheelchair for the rest of her fucking life. 
And it'd be really easy for someone like her, you know, completely quadriplegic. It would be easy for someone like her to just think, oh, I could just give up. I have never in my whole life met a more positive person. I, I've seen her maybe twice. I, I went to Allen Elementary with her. Oh, well, I just named my school. I don't give a shit. Uh, my elementary school I went to. Then, you know, I ended up moving to Ipsy when I'm younger, a little bit younger, or older than when I was in elementary school, but still young, I moved to Ipsy. And I still bumped into her occasionally. She's still, like, I, I think the last time I saw her was probably about three or four years ago. And she is still one of the most positive, upbeat people I've ever had the fucking pleasure of meeting. So, I don't think deformities, and now her thing was was a car accident. It's a bit different, but still. There's a lot of people on the left who I could see be like, I don't understand how she does it. You don't fucking need to. You should be happy and celebrating that this person is still doing it. There's something. There's something worth living for. And quite frankly, that thing worth living for is life itself. To have this once in a universe opportunity that you have to experience life and all it has to offer. And with the advancements of the technology, and even back then things were rapidly advancing, medically speaking, who's to say that they won't crack some cure, like a cure-all or something? No, I'm not saying. It's all a hypothetical thing. But with the development of medical science being what it is, and we start, you know, getting the partisan out of everything, imagine the feats of medical engineering we could fucking find. Disabilities. Like, like uh, we now know we can get stem cell research from non-living creatures. Like, like, we can develop stem cells now. We don't need to organ them from fetal tissue. We don't. We can now generate it. Blank cells that can do whatever the fuck we need them to. And we've, we're experimenting with this right now to treat people who have, like, you know, legs that don't work. So on and so forth. Uh, treating Bell's palsy. You never know what the future holds, medically speaking. And there is no reason to, like, I don't know. I, I Again, taking your life should be a voluntary option. It's your choice. No one can stop you. And when a new, or at least new DNA is formed upon conception. So that's why I'm one of these people that's crazy and says life begins at conception. And I don't care... What the extra? If it was my kid, and the guy's like, yeah, you know, this kid's gonna look fucking goofy as hell. I'm like, well, that's fine. I look goofy as hell. I would love my kid no differently. I would treat them, and this is what I was getting to earlier, I would treat them with the love, kindness, respect, and the occasional firm parenting I would any other child of my own. Why? Because they're just a regular person. They're a normal-ass person who, bad luck, it happens. And bad luck comes in so many different ways. It's not even like, oh, well, that's just fucking really bad luck. No, I mean, car accidents happen, birth defects happen, vaccine side effects happen. Hey, Beebs, how that face still not working. Anyway, my point being is, it's not upon you to decide that someone else doesn't get to live because of an issue. That is a eugenicist thought, and I just cannot bring myself to it. And I think it's ungodly thought in many ways to think, oh, well, this kid's going to be deformed when he's born. Get rid of it. No, don't. If he, chooses to, if he or she chooses to peace out later on, they peace out later on. It's that fucking simple. 
My issue is government's pushing for it like Canada. That's weird. You mean, like, like, oh, Canada. Yeah, had a major uprising from its citizens. And now they're offering fucking euthanization to everybody. Totally uncorrelated, guys. Um, but um, I, I've seen too much. I've, I've, I've learned too much. And I, I really just honestly cannot deal with it anymore. You realize that over the years, I mean, first, anonymously, when you were just known as Jane Rowe. Uh, and then later on, you became, certainly for some people, not all, but for some people, you became something of a symbol of a, of a woman's right to choose. You must have given a great deal of thought over these last few weeks and months uh, about the impact that you're going to have on the movement itself. Do you care? I, I, don't think that the, I don't think that the movement is the issue here. I believe, Ted, that the issue here is that I have found a spiritual path that is concrete and with Jesus Christ, and I, I feel very comfortable with that. Based. And I, I'm doing this for me. I'm, I'm not doing it for anyone else. If, I, I'm, just, I'm just watching out for my own self. Let, let, let me turn the question around a little bit. What, okay. if, what if now the, the right to life movement were to say, you see, now she has finally realized the error of her ways, although you still seem to have... Uh, you know, some ambiguity of, of thinking toward abortion, but what if they tried to turn you into some kind of a symbol? Uh, what if they tried to use... That click in the background is video, not me, by the way. ...use you now, uh, the way that some people feel you were used by the, uh, uh, the choice movement before. Uh, we've already talked about that at great length, and there will, there, there will not be any exploitation of my uh, political status. Who's weak? Uh, the, the right to life people. They, they have spoken to you about this, or, or you... Who, who approached whom here? Uh, well, it was just like a general conversation that uh, Flip and I were having one morning in Operation Rescue's office. I'm sorry, who's Flip? Uh, Flip Brenham is the national director of Operation Rescue uh, Dallas. And, and how did you come? How did you come to meet him? Uh, I met him uh, years and years ago uh, in front of the abortion clinics, of course, uh, when they would come and protest in front of the clinics, and um, we were we were arch enemies. I mean, we, we never spoke a kind word to each other at all. And one morning he came over and he told me, he says, Norma, he says, do you know that God is pro-choice? And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he says God is pro-choice, but he he wants that everyone should choose life. And then he showed me the scripture um, and he read it to me from the Bible, and. That, that got me to thinking. All right, I'll tell you what, let's take a short break, and then when, when you come back, maybe you can tell me how, how you agreed that you would not be used in any fashion by the, the pro-life movement, okay? Okay. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, the assurance that you got that your, your change of attitude toward abortion, that that is not going to be used by, by Operation Rescue or groups like that to further Wow, and you know what's funny? That video thing that just popped up, that's probably real. That's probably from a real VHS burn that became a digital copy. Cool. I like that. That's a little, little bit of history that a lot of young people just wouldn't understand. I'm, I'm only 25, man. I'm not even that old. Um, I don't know. We were just talking in general one day in the office, Field. and um, someone said something about exploitation of me, and I said I won't have it. I said I've already been exploited enough to last me a lifetime. I said all I simply want to do is come in here and serve the Lord and do whatever I can to help prevent women to. But I mean, I want to help women educate themselves uh, around their around sex education. Uh, I, I would like to teach women uh, that there's other alternatives to abortions. Where are you working now? I'm not working anywhere. Where, I, where are you volunteering now? Uh, I'm volunteering for Operation Rescue. How can you do that and still, I mean, I come back to, to what you and I were talking about, and maybe you're still working a lot of these things through, but it seems to me that your thinking is still a wee bit confused. Right? How can you be working for Operation Rescue and at the same time feel that it's all right for, for women to have an abortion in the first trimester under, um, under certain circumstances? I, I agree. You know what? Uh, this guy is definitely going for all the gotchas, but that's a great question. Under certain certain under certain circumstances, I I feel that it would it might be necessary. But I mean, don't you see that there's a conflict here? I mean, Operation Rescue is, as best I understand it, categorically opposed to abortion. They are. They're very uh very opposed to abortion. Uh, but they they know of my opinions. They know of my views. Uh, we've we've discussed them at great length, and um. 
they, they know that this is the, the transition that I'm going through now. Um, and, and I'm sure that they're all out there praying for me that, that I will come full circle and say that abortion is no longer right for any, any woman. You said, uh, I'm sorry, no, you said in passing a moment ago that, that you felt you had already been used too much. Um, used by whom? To what end? Who's well, I, I've been shunned by um, quite a few of the national leaders in the pro-choice movement. I, people, to me, sometimes I, I really get this really strong hit that, that people think that I'm just like totally stupid, and, and I'm not. I mean, I have, I've got brains, and I have ideas, and I just don't really feel like they hear me. And, I mean, I don't, I'm not that vast or quality, you know. I'm a street kid. I'm an ex-alcoholic. I'm an ex-drug dealer. I'm an ex-drug addict, you know. So, I mean, I wasn't their chosen one to be their special Jane Roe. But what I'm saying is that they, they just never gave me the respect that I thought that I deserved. Let me try and, let me try and present what might be, I mean, I, I, I doubt very much that you'll ever hear this in public from them, but what might be their point of view. You're not, and you've just sort of outlined the reasons yourself when you talk about your own background, you're not exactly the ideal role model, right? Right. So are you surprised that they didn't choose then to invite you to sort of put you up front and say, here's, here's, here's our poster gal? Let, let me explain to you this other way, Ted. And back in 1969, when I lied and I told Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey that I had been raped, I did that out of pure desperation. I wanted to have an abortion. I saved up my rent money. I went to an illegal abortion clinic here in Dallas, Texas. I saw the conditions of that clinic. I saw the dry blood on the floor. I saw all the roaches and all the other creepy things crawling around the floor. Uh -huh. The only thing that stopped me was the fact that the clinic had been busted a year, I mean, a week before that. That was the only thing that stopped me. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, ironically, you never had an abortion, did you? I mean, no. You, you, no, sir, you, I never you, had an abortion. You carried your child to full term. Yes, sir, I did. You wanted an abortion. Yes, sir, I uh, did. And, and in a sense, you were angry at one point at, at Sarah Weddington for not letting you get one because it didn't suit their purposes at the time. They, they needed you to be pregnant, right? They needed their plaintiff to be pregnant. It is exactly right. But see, what really was the tail end of the whole shamil was the fact that when Sarah Weddington came out with her book, I don't know, two or three years ago, uh, she told in her book that she had an abortion and she went to Mexico. And when I sat across that table at Columbo's Pizza here in Dallas, Texas, and I asked her, I said, Sarah, do you know where I can go and get an abortion? And she said, no. Well, she lied to me. And she gets off easy by saying, well, she was an officer of the court and that she couldn't uh, tell of illegal dealings when she had done the, damn, the same damn thing herself. Why could she have told me? So you see the, do you see the parallels here? No, I, I understand. You, you, you feel you were used, in, in one sense, by these people for their purposes. Does it occur to you that you may also be being used now by the Operation Rescue people for their purposes? No, sir. And they, I will not let them use me. I, I will have one more public appearance after this show tonight, and that will be Saturday. I will be introduced at the Ross Perot presidential candidate, whatever it's called. Thank you. Oh, dude. Dude. Oh, man. That is a fucking amazing what if. Real quick, TLDR. I know, I know, I fucking talk too much, but TLDR, Ross Perot ran as an independent party. He ran completely independent, not right, not left. He was also the only candidate ever put exclusively on the ballot by the American people through right in. And even more fucking impressive than being a right-in candidate? Motherfucker! They round down, but Pro won just 18.9 eight uh, independent candidate written in. Written in. Not on the ballot, not primary, written in. By random American citizens across this fucking country. Perot won 18.9% of the popular vote. The highest share of the vote won by a candidate outside of the two major political parties since 1912. And that only other person was the only person to serve as the one and only 
bully party member in American history. The one and only half base, half socialist, Theodore fucking Roosevelt. How is he half socialist? National Parks, bitch. Yes, sir, I will. And, and, but it doesn't occur to you that in some sense you may be being used. And, and I'm not being holier than that either. I mean, as a journalist, I'm using you right now, too. It's an interesting story. But, but do you not feel Fair. that the Operation Rescue people want to get their mile of publicity out of this, too, for their point, uh, to make their point? When these people from Operation Rescue call me at home now, they don't say, hey, Norma, I want you to come down to the office, or hey, Norma, we're having a fundraiser. Uh, you know, you, have, you, you can get in, and we're going to introduce you. We're going to acknowledge the fact that you're there, you know. But we don't want you to speak because you're a loose cannon, you know. And we don't want really loose cannons around, but we really do need you there because you're Jane Rowe, and we don't have any other choice. So, so go figure. You're, you're saying that's the way you were used by the, by the pro-choice movement? Yes, sir. Okay, well, Norman McCorvey, I, I wish you that peace and tranquility that you clearly thank want, you. And, and I thank you very much for being <laughs> with us this evening. Thank you. So... Please bash the people who you're working with now. Bash the pro-lifers. Every time she says, no, 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 actually, actually, it was the pro-abortion people who were corrupt. All right, we're going to go to commercial break. Actually, it was the, the pro-abortion people who were corrupt. All right, well, that concludes the interview. I hope you have a good day. Have you ever? Oh, okay, wow. Fucker. Very much. I'll I appreciate be, you. Thank you. I'll be back in just a moment. Could not wait for that interview to be fucking over. She was conveniently pregnant at a time when those who were ready to take the issue to the Supreme Court needed a case to litigate. Get ready for him to get salt. It would have been altogether better for her if she had remained anonymous. To be so visible and vulnerable in the middle of such a controversial oh. issue can be a searing experience. It clearly has been for Norma McCorvey. As most of us do, she is looking for acceptance and love and a little peace and quiet. Perhaps after this latest flare-up of attention, she will finally get it. That's our report for tonight. I'm Ted Conner, right, Washington. Back. For all of us here News, and just like how this video, just like how this video right here before you came to an end, I too shall bring this episode of Inside Four Walls to a close. Down the road, I'll uh, I, I want to remake this. I already tell this is too long and too rambly, but I, I got too much made here to not use it. Down the road, uh, I'll do better research. I'll, I'll, I don't need to do better research, but. I, well, it doesn't hurt to do better research. I should, I, I should word it a little bit differently, I guess. But I want to gather, you know, more evidence, more sources and whatnot and remake. The, I mean, I already made the good argument here. And I let, not only did I let Ruth Bader Ginsburg make the argument for me, I let Jane Roe herself make the argument for me. I just should find a way to do it a little bit more tight, Nick. And I've been edit working with different editing styles. The only reason why I'm talking right now is because if you're already here, fuck. I appreciate you. Uh, fuck it, if you're here at this point, you don't need to leave a thumbs up or anything. Just, you know, leave a little, little something in the comment below. Like, type pancake in the fucking description below. And any comment with pancake typed out, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a shout out in a future episode. But, yeah, whatever the fucking chai comms and pseudo-fucking pinkos here and the fucking feminist crowd want you to believe, their idols, their fucking golden cows, are the opposite of what they say they are. Ginsburg said, oh, Roe v. Wade was a fucking mistake. It completely missed the mark of what it should have been. Jane Roe says it was all a lie and I was paid and told to make up a rape story and an abortion story. And the child's out there right now. The child of Jane Roe is out there right fucking now. Slash Norma 
McCor uh, McCarvey, my bad. So, interesting, right? And pick your fucking candidate. Who do you want it to be? Any one of these fucking icons the left looks up to are fucking fraudulent criminals. Smollett. Bubba Wallace or Bubba Smollett. And the list goes, you got fucking Sam Cedar. You got all these fucking horrible Hollywood celebrities that are just vile fucking people. Then you got people like Ethan Klein and all the other commentators like him and fucking Philip DeFranco, you beautiful bastards. And all these people who are shilled out and say whatever the narrative tells them to fucking say. And then they say and do the most vile fucking shit. And you find out just how bad of a person they really are. Josh Whedon, all the feminists who didn't fucking care about any of his work before, they didn't care about Wesley on Star Trek. They maybe cared about him because he was on Big Bang Theory a couple times, but he antagonized Sheldon or whatever the fuck. But when he was like, yeah, bam, pussy power, pink hat and everything. The feminists tripped over themselves to flock to support anything he did. And then, oops, repeat, sex offender. Fucking be be grabbing all kinds of pussy up in that bitch. For someone who hates Trump, sure does grab a lot of pussy. Uh, what's going on with Justin Rowland, another outspoken fucking lefty from hell? It's just interesting how all these, these, these heroes left look up to are never who they claim to be. But that's it for this episode of Inside Four Walls. I've been your host, James Madison. I appreciate you watching this, and I shall talk to y'all later. Peace.